Hi, Sam here to tell you how you can unlock the transformative power of generative AI with a new online course from MIT Sloan Executive Education. You may be wondering what Gen AI is and why it's relevant for your business. In this on-demand online course led by experts from MIT Sloan and the Schwarzman College of Computing, you'll explore Gen AI's promises and limitations, investigate its applications for your business, and learn how you can implement a strategy for it. Visit executive.mit.edu smrai to sign up for the course and gain the MIT edge today. That's executive.mit.edu smrai. There can be sizable gaps between people working directly with technology and people working in product teams. Today's episode with Slavik Kerner, Senior Vice President of Digital Health and Analytics at Humana, illustrates how diverse experience can come together in novel ways to build value with AI. Hello and welcome to Me, Myself, and AI, a podcast on artificial intelligence and business. Each episode, we introduce you to someone innovating with AI. I'm Sam Ransbotham, Professor of Information Systems at Boston College. I'm also the guest editor for the AI and Business Strategy Big Idea Program at MIT Sloan Management Review. And I'm Shervin Korobande, senior partner with BCG, and I co-lead BCG's AI practice in North America. And together, BCG and MIT SMR have been researching AI for four years, interviewing hundreds of practitioners and surveying thousands of companies on what it takes to build and deploy and scale AI capabilities and really transform the way organizations operate. We had a great discussion with Prakar Mahotra from Walmart last time. Prakar himself has a fascinating background from organizations like Twitter and Uber to his current job at Walmart. There's quite some differences between those organizations. It's also interesting to learn some aspects that are similar. Check out our last episode for the fun details. So for today, let's go on to something new. Shervin, I'm really looking forward to today's episode. Slavik, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Part of our focus is on you, really. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us you know, what your current role is, and we'll go from there. My name is uh, Suave Kerner, and I'm a senior vice president um, in charge of data and analytics at Humana. Um, Humana is a Fortune 60 company. I really focus on healthcare and um, helping our members live longer and healthier lives. I have roughly 25 years of uh, experience in uh, data and analytics across um, consumer, uh, technology, and, and healthcare industries. And, you know, I've, I've always been interested in data. My first uh, money I spent on a, on a PC and you know, got MATLAB and Simulink loaded there, and I would uh, you know, create all kinds of simulations, get them run overnight and see what's coming out in the morning and use all kinds of... Uh, ways to visualize data. Mm-hmm. At that time, I was fascinated with process simulations and uh, autonomous control systems and uh, adaptive control. And this fascination you know, got me a job with uh, P&G, Procter & Gamble. And the good thing is that I could continue to use my passion. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, permission space to innovate and bring uh, advanced algorithms to, to these spaces. And that's how I started. And and that was also a fascinating time because you could start to have feedback from your algorithms for from your AI, you know, early AI-based systems. Uh, and with this moment, I got uh, hired by Nokia 
It was already a moment when iPhone was launched, and that was another fascinating transformation. And as you probably know the story, that part of business was acquired by Microsoft. Uh-huh. And I moved you know, all of my team, and I was running data and analytics for Nokia at that time to, to Microsoft, looked around for a while, um, uh, helped run uh, some of the same operations across Microsoft's retail and uh, devices business, and then moved to the cloud and AI unit. And that got me to Humana. So roughly one and a half years ago, I, I got to this moment when I thought, okay, like, you know, I, I built quite a bit of experience in data and analytics and can make money with it, but now let's try to use it for some good purpose. Uh, and that's something that we can do in healthcare, where next to having a lot of data, we also have a very noble purpose. I think you've almost run the table at almost every sort of industry and every sort of application. It sounds like you're just right ahead of the whatever's happening next. Uh, that's, that's, that's what I hope so. Actually, I'm, I'm looking for these challenges. This is pointless, but I have to follow up. Were you a chemical engineer back in uh, at the P&G days? I, I worked very close to chemical engineers, by, by the way. So I know part of my projects were to actually rewire large chemical factories mm-hmm. and, and think about you know, really, really huge chemical operations that uh, P&G has in major cities. But to your point, I actually did two majors. One was in mechatronics, and that was essentially at that time in a fascination with AI in my part of the world. And the other one was in business management. I just mentioned that because both Sheridan and I are chemical engineers back in the dark ages and thought we'd found a compatriot in the whole thing. Because I actually got interested in, you mentioned simulation as your beginning as well, and that's where I started too, was you didn't have to build a plant, you could just simulate it. And just really shows some of the opportunities from from data, and it sounds like you saw some of those same things. Exactly, and you know, you, you mentioned simulations of factors. That's exactly what I was doing. So it's it's interesting because that fascination that I had early on during my studies with simulation, I I could bring to PNG. So a factory is very different than you are in in Humana. That's a that's a completely different. Um, chemicals don't mind if they sit for a while in a vat, but patients do. How, how do how do the things you've learned from that past experience influence your current? I think, you know, there are a number of things that actually you can learn in supply chain and chemical processes that actually do apply to healthcare. It's, it's fascinating. Yep. But you know, let, let me just list a few. So, so first of all, the whole basic setup of process and process control, I, I think, you know, applies to, to chemical factory. And when you think about uh, you know market, you know it's very similar. You can you know apply so much marketing, and you know when you do too much, of course you're wasting money. Not enough is not going to give you the results. So you, you kind of meet the, you know, a similar problem. And uh, I think t- troubles that you have with uh, with keeping chemical processes in control also actually we see in healthcare. So, so for example, you know if chemical control has a lot of lag, so the you know the time from when you apply certain force or you know, temperature to a time when you start seeing a result of it on the output of a process, you know, the, the more you know, this lag is there, the more difficult it is to keep the system in control. Classic thermostat problem. That's what it is. Mm. And when you think about healthcare, we have exactly the same. So we were trying all kinds of treatments and uh, programs for our members on the onset. Uh, so think about diabetes or issue of, let's say, you know, having a, you know, a heart disease and then and then needing to ad- adhere to medications. Now, we, we, we try to convince you to do it, but very often we need to wait very long until we see that actually your health has improved. And again, here we have this, this long lags, and at this lags, you know, are both inherent to the process itself and you know, clinical domain, 
but quite often they also result from just poor data interoperability. I think you're making a super interesting point that there are archetypal sort of problems in different disciplines, different industries, different fields altogether, but similar approaches once customized to that particular industry or company would give a lot of good results. And I resonate a lot with that. You listed some very good examples. Do you feel that diversity across having seen different archetypal problems in different industries and disciplines, do you feel like that is a important attribute of someone like yourself who's leading an AI organization for a company, just coming from sort of different backgrounds and different, having seen it across very different disciplines? Yeah, I, th- I think it is It is useful. I mean, it's useful for me, of course, and um, I have a lot of respect for you know, leaders that uh, emerged from healthcare industry, and of course, they have uh, that background, which you know, I am learning only on how to really operate in a healthcare context. But to your point, I, th- I think uh, you know, specifically in healthcare, there is a need for, for people that will come uh, from other industries and, and bring knowledge uh, because it feels that healthcare is a little bit behind. Certainly from data, transformation, availability of data, mm-hmm. certainly from you know usage of AI, and also from, from, from platform point of view. Hi, Sam here to tell you how you can unlock the transformative power of generative AI with a new online course from MIT Sloan Executive Education. You may be wondering what Gen AI is and why it's relevant for your business. In this on-demand online course led by experts from MIT Sloan and the Schwarzman College of Computing, you'll explore Gen AI's promises and limitations, investigate its applications for your business, and learn how you can implement a strategy for it. Visit executive.mit.edu slash smrai to sign up for the course and gain the MIT edge today. That's executive.mit.edu slash smrai. So you mentioned several different examples through there. Can you give us some more detail about some particular success that you've had at Humana with, particularly around obviously artificial intelligence is what we're interested in. Is there some story of success that you're proud of? Yeah, there are are a few. So we we certainly are testing and learning a lot. I I think a key key progress that I'm, I'm really proud of is the fact that we have created our own internal machine learning platform which um, you know, helps uh, our data scientists uh, have access to modern technologies, to all of the open source uh, capabilities, have uh, cloud uh, accessibility such that uh, you know, computing power is not anymore limited by what you have in your, in your data center. Mm-hmm. Uh, but essentially, you can, you, know, you can tap and, uh, and run any kind of algorithms uh, out there. We are starting to see the, you know, the benefits coming through way better, way more accurate, uh, Models that predict you know, retention in our business, that uh, that help us predict inpatient admission situations, and therefore act uh, hopefully way ahead of, of a time when uh, our member uh, needs to um, visit ER or uh, or get into a hospital, and, and hopefully be there early enough so that we can, you know, help this uh, person stay in better health and 
and avoid needing uh, an inpatient treatment. There's also a lot of progress in terms of usage of AI uh, algorithms and uh, sophistication of, of this. We had to uh, overcome a lack of um, you know, proper uh, security in the cloud to handle PII and PHI data. Uh, so as we're building those uh, capabilities and uh, you know, helping also build those with our vendors, we, uh, we had to generate high quality testing data that would be differentially private. Mm -hmm. We are able to create an, a new model, an AI model based on synthetic data, which is of similar accuracy to, to the one that is created on, on real data. Using generative AI, we created uh, high fidelity synthetic profiles and populations of our members and could use those to ingest that to, to our platform, started to learn how to use it. We trained our data scientists. We have uh, more than uh, 200 uh, PhD grade data scientists at Humana, and they could already get access and, and start, start using uh, systems ahead of uh, our uh, readiness for PHI and PAI data handling, which, which happened in the meantime. But the fact that we have the synthetic data creation capability actually is helping us in, in many other fronts as well. So make sure I understand, you're using this tool to help your organization learn how to handle the real data. So you, you use AI to generate synthetic data, that then lets everybody practice and learn on before it becomes a real patient. That's 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 correct. Uh, actually, I really like that example. Can you describe why? You know, I, I might be. I think I'm trivializing it, but why, why is that an AI problem and not a, I don't know, statistical sampling problem? Like, what what makes AI fit there well? It's good. It's a good question, uh, and and I think you know, this became an AI problem when AI became better. So uh, I don't know, you, you all probably have seen uh, some of the work of NVIDIA that creates the synthetic faces of people. So um, yeah, essentially, you, you use deep learning to train neural network to uh, essentially learn on how a, a face of a person looks like. And when you ask it to recreate, uh, taking away the, the original data and controlling for overfitting in, in such a way that uh, you can ensure that uh, none of the you know, training pictures is recreated exactly. So. So essentially, all the faces that that synthetic generator generates are unreal and never existed. And you know, and that field has you know started many years ago. But initially, these faces, you know, were, they kind of always had two eyes, but you know, an eye could be in the middle of the forehead, and so like you you right away <laughs> see that it's not real. Uh, but you know, over the last two years, they have improved so much that when you look at this synthetic face right now it it, it looks you know it's hard to recognize that it's not a human and it could be easily easily tricked so the parallel there is that you're tricking you're, you're performing the same trick but with data rather than with images exactly we look at uh, at a human's record at a history you know health history but also actually a complete history of your demographic and health data and we recreate the same you know population through an uh, approach like this one so fully differentially private, very high quality. When you look at this, you know, it take a physician looking at health history of a synthetic individual and uh, a physician cannot tell that it's uh, unreal. And it looks like, it looks like real. Hmm. Who had the idea to do that? Where did you, I would not have thought of that. So uh, it's, uh, it's always a, a mix of people and that, that are sitting around the table to try to solve a, a tough issue that we have. That's, that's part of it. And, and quite often we, um, we invite our partners. Uh, so in particular, you know, that technology came from a collaboration with a, with a partner from Europe, uh, who, uh, in, interestingly enough, also 
uh, worked with me at Nokia, so a very talented individual that created the synthetic data set capabilities and synthetic data creation capabilities, uh, and got a lot of success with this in, in Europe, which, uh, as you probably know, of course, is much more concerned with personal privacy. And then another you know, set of partners we are working very closely with right now is Microsoft and you know, their uh, advancement of uh, differential privacy and, uh, and this space. Uh, and then finally, we quite often connect with academia and we have, we have those connections as well. This is a great example of how in a real technical topic from a different discipline with deep learning and image you know, recognition makes a tangible difference in a completely different industry. And I could imagine maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, clinicians and business folks running a company like Humano would say, well, that's not the same. There's not real patients. It's all synthetic. We can't trust it, et cetera, et cetera. My question is, what level of education and sort of knowledge sharing do you feel you've had to go through both at Humana and, you know, in, in your prior careers to sort of bridge that gap between the art of the possible on the technical side and the business where the understanding is not the same? And do, do you feel like there is still a gap? And, you know, how do you bridge that and narrow it? Um, Shervin, yes, and there is a gap. And, and, and I think there's, there's a gap between... Uh technology and business understanding and uh, there's a, a gap between technology and, and ourselves you know we all you know in this uh, particular field need to continue to learn you know, every few years there is a uh, things change you know, and sometimes they change totally on us huh? so it, you know, part of it and I think the first skill is you know how do you continue to learn it's continuous learning that, that is necessary for uh, for all of us and and, and us as leaders um, who need to inspire our teams to do the same. Because even if you hire you know, PhDs in, in data science that, that, that have been recently trained, they, they, they need to continue uh, to learn. They need to have uh, their workbench where they can tweak data and they can learn with, with, with others. And then the other, the other part of it, you know, which uh, I spearheaded at, at Humana, is a much tighter link with product teams in this you know, large technology companies. Uh, that we collaborate with. Huh? So what we are trying to do is to, to make sure that we are you know, closely in touch with those product teams, we, we follow what they're doing, we participate to the customer, to customer advisory boards, uh, and um, through this both help them shape their products and, and, and for us you know, get excited and, uh, and hopefully drive accelerated adoption of these new features and functionalities ourselves. So that's one part of your question. So how do we you know, how do we stay ahead? And, and, and then, of course, we have a huge role of uh, of helping our business teams and our, our partners in enterprises where we um, happen to work to also understand and uh, the art of the possible and help us uh, turn this technology knowledge into reality that actually advances our experience both internally and also for our members and customers. My takeaway from what you're saying is hiring the team and keeping the team at the forefront of the art of the possible and inspiring them is one part of it, but also organizations have to take steps to actually bridge these gaps through all these things that you're talking about so that there is more collaboration and sort of cross-functional teaming and much closer 
sort of product management with analytics, with AI, with voice of customer, all of that, so that these ideas are allowed to even incubate and go somewhere. Is that right? Yeah, 100% agree. Well, if we've gotten 100% agreement from Slavic, I think that's a great time to end. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us, Slavic. Shervin, let's do a quick recap. Sounds good, Sam. Slavic made some very interesting points. One of the things that he mentioned a lot was you know, how past experiences led to his current role. And he had so many different past experiences, and yet you know, he found ways to apply them. I thought that was a pretty fascinating point. Yeah, I really, I really resonated with that. Uh, he talked about some archetypal problems, like the chemical engineering, the problem of system control and the lag in the system and how that has to be managed. And he likened this to a problem of marketing. Uh, and then more importantly, to the problem of managing the care of millions of the patients, because as they propose different treatments for, for different, different members, there will be a lag between what's working and what's not working. And the ability to understand what's working and what's not working and what that lag time is, I mean, that's almost a standardized chemical engineering or control systems, you know, electrical engineering problem. And his ability to see these archetypes and sort of transcend from discipline and domain and industry to you know, health insurance is really, really important. Gave me a little hope that humans will still be around for a bit. It's interesting as well that in a lot of these examples, the specific industry details were obviously different. And they, you know, you, you can't just blindly apply them from one industry to another. And I think there's a role too, that creativity and being smart about what, what fits and what's smart about what doesn't fit. That, again, seems very human. Yeah, completely. And and the other thing, you know, building up on that is importance of, again, building trust, right? And building trust of the humans in the AI solutions, right? And he talked about synthetic data to do synthetic tests of different treatments. And then he talked about the process of showing clinicians how that synthetic data actually mimics the, the real data and how it does. And so I think that's also very important. Again, building trust and building trust in areas where, you know, human judgment really, really matters. I liked how, how pragmatic it was too. I mean, you know that computers are going to have problems. And so you'd much rather find those problems out with generated data. And I thought what was creative about his solution was using AI to generate that data that, you know, smelled just like real data, but they could afford to screw up with. I like things like that, where it makes complete sense once he says it, but I would never have thought of it myself. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. That's all the time we have today. But next time, join us as we talk to Gina Chung from DHL. Thanks for listening to Me, Myself, and AI. If you're enjoying the show, take a minute to write us a review. If you send us a screenshot, we'll send you a collection of MIT SMR's best articles on artificial intelligence free for a limited time. Send your review screenshot to smrfeedback at mit.edu.